Welcome back to Recap, the podcast where we talk about the latest news featured on our social media pages. We try to find the news that matters most to both us and our voters, and we encourage our legislators to listen, but to also act on what they hear. I'm your host, Joshua Hyde, and with me today are uh, sometimes host of Recap, one of our now writers, and our data analyst, Alex Trohanan, and the host of Smart Politics, and one of our common writers, Anthony Arnold. How are you gentlemen doing right now? Common writer. No, like you, you've written for us like a lot. Like you've, you've. No, no, you're, you're replaceable, Anthony. You're, you're a dime a dozen. <laughs> you could have Stop said that. prolific, prolific. Stop that. Stop <laughs> it. You could have said prolific, veteran, experienced. You're right. I, I should, I should have, I should have used Master. a different word. Let me try again. Can I try again? <laughs> yeah. Can I try again? With me today <laughs> is Professor X, our, <laughs> stop it, Francine, he's not a commoner. Um, our Professor X, uh, our data analyst, sometimes host of Recap, and one of our newest writers. And along with him is one of the greatest writers we've had in the history of PointCast, Anthony Arnold. <laughs> of all time! Thank you, thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> Hey, when the say you win that Pulitzer, win the Pulitzer one time. All right. The recognition is nice. <laughs> You're welcome. I mean, you guys told me to keep introducing you, so I'm I'm just trying to I'm trying to make sure that I give you the proper recognition you deserve. It's kind of the highlight of my week. All right, let's go ahead and get into it. We got some we got some meaty topics to discuss today. So Anthony, or sorry, Alex, Professor X. We're gonna today we're gonna talk about the Earn It Act. Let's do it. So uh, the Earn It Act, otherwise um, S3, uh, 3538, um, is a piece of legislation that was in, first introduced in 2020. So it amends Section 230 of the Communications Act of 1934 uh, and would require operators of websites to remove user-posted content that they would deem inappropriate and provides... Um, would remove the current protection from them from civil lawsuits for for such posting. Oh, so mm. this was initially like I said. So this was initially posted in 2020. Um, it was uh, sponsored. It was bipartisan, sponsored by uh, Republican Senator Lindsey Graham, Democratic Senator uh, Richard Blumenthal. So uh, uh, Lindsey Graham is um for the like is from South Carolina, and then. Uh, Richard Blumenthal is from Connecticut, and uh, it was initially so it was initially proposed in 2020, and then it didn't get out of um, the uh, the committee. But it recently it was reintroduced, and it recently passed the committee. So that means that it's potential to be floored for a vote. And uh, as as previously stated, it has uh, bipartisan support. Um, and it's terrible. So what it um, so what they claim that they want it to do is to stop um, is to stop people from being able to publish child sexual exploitation material online. So in order to do that, they um, su- uh, suggest that all user content that would be posted online would have to be scanned through some type of machine learning, deep learning algorithm. And then uh, they would be flagged uh, for if it was, uh, you know, 
child abuse material or not. I mean, that sounds good on paper, but I know that that's not how it's implemented. Well, right. that's it. Uh, well, so we're going to go back to uh, as someone who deals with machine learning all of like on a regular basis. I'm here to tell you, we're not here yet. You can build a say, uh, um, my favorite example is there was a deep learning algorithm that was designed to uh, distinguish the difference between threes, the number three, and bees, the animal, the insect, threes and bees, right? You couldn't possibly confuse the two, right? But if, as it turns out, deep learning algorithms will find a way. If you turn the three so that it faces the other direction, suddenly a B. What? So deep learning, I say, so <laughs> deep learning algorithms don't have, like, because you're trying to teach a, you're teaching a computer, here's a collection of pixels. Like, you know, here's a collection of pixels. And in these contexts, this collection of pixels together is a three. And these pixels in this context together, this is a B. And you just say, and the way that like it learns is you just show it pictures of Bs and threes and you tell which one is which. And then you test it by giving it another picture that it's never seen before. And you go, is this a three or a B? And uh, it doesn't say, so like, again, humans, we say like, we don't actually look at like a whole collection of pixels. Like what we look at, like, are cut like we look at like are the colors and the like in the context, the larger context of the image and go, oh, that's a B. Oh, that's a three. But like deep learning algorithms, machine learning algorithms, computers don't do that. We don't know how to code that. So we just they they develop based just based upon their like their own metrics. They kind of develop their own way of you know, differentiating oh, this is a three or a B. And we have no understanding of why, of what those metrics are or how they work. And so you can imagine, so you can imagine a deep learning algorithm can't tell the difference between a peach and a butt. Like they, it get, you know, if you have a very smooth peach, definedly round peach, <laughs> it's like, huh, maybe that's a peach, but maybe it's a butt. And you want it and say, and so you want this, you want this algorithm, which is completely, they say, and these are say they give a recommendation in the bill of what of what tool they suggest using, but they want these private algorithms, these completely these black boxes with no public discretion of like what those error rates are, or what say or what the correction, what the training data was, what the testing data was, what the cross validation of these models were. Like these are just commercial black boxes that companies are going to sell to other companies. And then you want those to scan all photos, all material uploaded to the internet. And in order, like in order to scan it, like they, you know, they're gonna have to put a copy on their own server. They're gonna have to do some analysis to it. And then if anything, if the if it deems it inappropriate, it's gonna flag it. And then they're gonna file a report against you, the person who's uploaded it. And it's like, but I'm a I'm a humble peach farmer and I'm just really excited about my peaches. I'm not a child molester. Why are you accusing me of this? I mean, and what's yes. the recourse for that? What do there you do if one, Facebook decides you keep uploading pictures of child porn? I mean, you would you would appeal, right? I'm assuming there's some uh, kind of Oh, you have it. you tried appealing to Facebook, yeah, my dude? Yeah, never mind. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
There, it, say, there have been papers that have shown that it is mathematically better to do nothing than to try to appeal to Facebook. Yeah. You can show this with math. Same it would be YouTube. better if Facebook didn't have a QA department. You can show this with math. I mean, it's really remarkable, though, what you're describing. Just and, and because so, we are increasingly leaning on these algorithms, despite everyone acknowledging that they don't, that they're not ready yet. But that's not stopping us from leaning on them all the same. Well, well, and this is this is even worse. This is um, and like I'm giving you like the like the common sense thing, but I'm gonna draw. I'm gonna dig a little deeper into this, and this is a loophole around the First Amendment. We're not say the government. Oh. Don't worry, guys. We're not the we the government are not going to uh, say first and fourth amendments. Actually, we're not going to take your stuff and surveil you. No, 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 no. We're not going to surveil your speech. These but guys are going to do it. Is, yep. And they're just going to work in colla- you know, in close collaboration with law enforcement. And uh, who you know, I'm sorry if you get stuck. Um, if you get stuck up in that. But I also want to talk about another, um, you know, disturbing section of this is they also suggest that like, okay, so what happens in the instances of like, of like minors or like, you know, people in a cell phone plan? Like, so if your cell phone, if you try to upload uh, or, you know, um, or you receive uh, images that are deemed to be, you know, child sexual material, well, we'll flag the, the owner of that cell phone plan. And it's like, okay, so you're telling me is that you're just going to out 17 year old, like you're going to out adolescents for ex- like for exploring like their, like exploring their bodies and exploring say, and having ad- like adolescent relationships, you're just going to out them all the time. But not even that, like, even if, if that, if that operates the way that you said, and like, as an example, I received something that wasn't meant for me and then they, Mark my cell phone plan. I literally have nothing to do with it. I just received a message, yep. and now I'm on the watch list. That oh, so, feels well, so. I say, well, there's definitely that, but I like so. It's not. I don't even think it's like too difficult to imagine. You're a um, say you're a 17 year old child questioning. You say you know trying to define your sexuality. You say you say um, you exchange nudes with uh, a you know say a couple of other 17 year olds both male and female, well, uh, your parents are just going to be notified. Yeah, that's a problem. Did you, did like, did you get a say in that matter? No, well, no, I actually didn't. Well, why? Because we don't recognize you as an adult. Uh, yeah, I mean, this, this is, is all, this is, rough. this is all part of this collateral damage stuff that we don't talk about enough in regards to like the way legislation functions. It remi- what you're saying actually reminds me a lot. I don't know if you guys know, there, I think it still is around, but there was a website called Backpage and Mm-hmm. prostitutes uh, sex workers used to use it as a way to help screen potential clients because it would because you had to go online it would just help making the process safer because like sex work is a thing that happens and will always happen yep but it got wrapped up in this desire to like stop child trafficking and back page got killed but there were mm-hmm. a lot of sex workers who were going like we understand the thing you are trying to do but what you're going to end up doing is making our job Uns- like much more unsafe and so it's just weird hearing because when it's trafficking it's the same or thing it's over, the same it's the, thing it's yep. the same justification used to like destroy some community 
on the grounds of like protecting our kids or whatever. And obviously the desire to protect our kids is understandable, but we can't burn everything else to the ground to do so. That's not going to work either. So it's like the same thing I'm hearing. So it's just funny to me listening to you describe this new thing that's going to end up probably having the same result as when they went after Backpage. Like my response to all of this is always, anytime we do like this protect the children, um, there are six states where child marriage is outlawed. Six. New Jersey in 2018, Delaware in 2018, Pennsylvania in 2020, Minnesota in 2020, Rhode Island in 2021, and New York in 2021. In every other state, the uh, say, if you want to marry someone under the age of 18, all that it requires is, say, is legal guardian signature. So protect yeah, the children, protect like, children, you want to yeah. protect the children from, from who? Oh, you want to protect the children, uh, you, you just, like, don't like, uh, this is ultimately just an instance of conservative ideology taking its, rearing its ugly head and being like, parents have autonomy over their children. Children don't get a choice in the matter. Parents, parents decide. I decide if you're gay. I decide who you're going to date. I have autonomy over your body until you turn 18. And that's a problem. Yeah. So not to say it ha- again. So this is a very brief overview of the Internet Act. It is mo- It is being tracked towards being uh, a vote on the floor. Uh, you should call your congressmen, call your senators. Um, you should go to their office and you should throw rocks. Uh, and you should tell them that you, that you are in favor of your First and Fourth Amendment and that you want to not have the Internet Act pass. I feel like we should just always throw rocks at congressmen. That we is, just, we should I just mean, go to every correct. congressman and throw rocks. <laughs> May I say that that's not, that's, hold on, I want to say, not any congressman. We should throw rocks at our congressmen because they suck. Well, yeah. But I say, like, you could have, it's not impossible to have, like, a, a decent politician. We just don't have them. And so until we do, yes, you should throw rocks. Well, one thing that I actually didn't realize until Anthony pointed it out is just how many things that I've seen in my lifetime that have been implemented with the goal of protecting the children when no other actual step of protecting children is being taken. And I, I, the last time I remember seeing it as heavily was the idea of like fighting against abortion for the protection of the unborn children when we see all of the problems for the born children that are here and no one's doing anything about that, at least to the same degree as they're attempting to fight abortion, which seems like they're just against abortion, not actually protecting the children. But it's, it's very interesting to know that, that that same logic is being applied to several other things as well. Yep. I was well, it's a, that. it's a lack of logic. Well, yeah. But the problem is that like protecting children is such an emotionally charged, emotionally pointed argument that standing on the other side of it is very dangerous politically. Like voting against this is going to be a dangerous thing in politics because the protected children people are going to skewer you. Yeah. And that is very that's a hard thing to do when the other argument is so emotionally charged. So, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, looks like we got some rocks to throw. Let's let's grab some and uh, get a rock throwing party together. So, with that being said, Anthony, yeah. of all time, let's talk about the poll. The goat has arrived. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, polls drop every Friday, everybody, on social media pages. We really love to see you guys respond, share. The poll we're covering today is uh, – about Hilton Head. So Hilton Head is the number one vacation spot in the U.S. 
But before this, it was a refugee, a refuge, a refuge, not a refugee. It was a refuge for escaped and freed Gullah Geechee slaves. Once over 90% black, it is now over 90% white. The Gullah are African-Americans who live in the low country region of the U.S. states in places like Georgia, Florida, South Carolina, and North Carolina, in both the coastal plain and the sea islands, and in recent years have been losing their land. Marion Stewart, a Gullah woman, was behind in her taxes and went to an auction to redeem her property that's been in her family for over 180 years through a tradition called heirs' property that is supposed to protect the land from bidders. She owed $1,700 of property taxes, which she would be able to redeem. But the tradition of heirs' property was not upheld, and her property was auctioned right from under her for $8,000. While the county supervisor seemed sympathetic, she said she was unable to uphold the tradition upheld in the past because heirs' property is not law. But Marion doesn't trust it, saying, The entity buying most of our land is the city itself. Once someone decides they want what you have, you can sell them just a little bit if you want, but you'd better know they are coming back for the rest. So the question that we had is what should be done in Hilton Head? How should we build on the best of what we are as a country and respect and protect the people who are already living in a place? Is there something that should absolutely not be done? I'll go ahead and take this first. I think that this country was like founded on practices like heirs' property. And even if they weren't written into law, several aspects of like community engagement and other things have been around since literally the very beginning. And so it is concerning to me that this system that has clearly been used well before now uh, for several, several, several decades, it sounds like, um, was not used in this case for the benefit of some entity that's not a person. I find that both weird and very concerning uh, because if something like heirs' property, which is effectively like a gentleman's agreement, um, even though it's not signed into law, it's still like a widely practiced thing. I, I, I'm very confused as to why it wouldn't be upheld in this case and what that means for the future of properties by these people or properties yeah. by these people. Um, I'll go next and then I'll jump over to Alex and I'll also respond to something you just said. I mean, the problem here is that uh, gentlemen's agreements, as you put it, they have no legal weight and they're not they're never going to stand up to a legal challenge because they don't there's no law behind them and so we're sort of seeing now that when the law is like applied and just just when it is applied it is always going to overwhelm anything that's not legal that's not just have a legal backing there's almost nothing you can do to win that that's what this person unfortunately found out but the broader question is and the broader issue that that this struck to me, residents have virtually no power against the cities or the states they are in. They just have yeah. nothing. Like I talked about this constantly here in Indy, they were they were rebuilding, not necessarily gentrifying, but they wanted to nicen up the area like immediately north of downtown. So for people who know the city, if you were driving, you know, down those roads, College, Keystone, they wanted to nicen all that up. And so over the years, you've seen the it has improved, at least visually. But my question always was, well, what do you do with the people who, who were living there? Like, where did they go? They, they had to go somewhere. They, my assumption is they probably kicked them out to the east side, knowing the layout of Indy. They probably sent most of those people to the east and west sides. But the issue is there's nothing you can do. So if you don't sell, the city can just drive up the rates by, like, building around you. They can just drive up your property taxes to the point where you have to sell anyway. 
they could just build it. I mean, they, they could just build the area around you and leave you with no choice but to sell to them, at which point they'll probably give you pennies instead of whatever the initial offer was. Or one of your neighbors will sell and they'll just drive it up that way. The city has ways of strong arming people out of their home that are totally legal. They're not moral, but they are legal. And there's nothing you can do as a resident. And this just really reminded me of that massive power disparity that um, as much as we talk about, you know, the poll talks about what we were founded on, as much as we talk about things like property rights, the city can violate your property rights unofficially pretty easily. They can get you out of a place where you are with really no problem if they really wanted it. They, your property rights are only as valid as the city allows them to be. If they want you out your house, they will get you out your house. They will find a way to get you out your house. That just reminded me of all that. So then, Alex, I'll finish up with you, man. I mean, so fun. Um, I'm going to tangent briefly. There is the, what's the, want to say one of the U.S. territories. Um, Guam. Puerto Rico. Um, Puerto Rico. American Samoa have a uh, policy that you can't own land in American Samoa without being Samoan. You have to prove your Samoan heritage in order to own property in Samoa. This is constitution. This is against the constitution of the United States. This is like flagrant violation of the constitution, but it has been important to them because it has allowed them to maintain uh, that the island, just say the, like the island's heritage and the island's culture. And it largely has just blocked out um the ability of for um like a foreign of foreign nationals to come in and take their stuff from them uh and this is a and this is actually what we're seeing um take place on a on a smaller scale like in the united states right now um with the rise of uh, airbnbs and the ability to you know just rent out properties indefinitely they have become, they have largely like property has become an even more of an investment and has been just bought, you know, houses have just been gobbled up by, um, like by corporations to like, to turn them into Airbnbs or to like, to turn them into like into rentals. And that's not a, like, that's not a problem that you can solve with the current constitution of the, like with the current United States constitution. Congress has passed a law that is trying to ensure that um, that by I don't I'm blanking on what the name of the law is, but in 2025 it will be illegal for corp for corporations to own residential um, buildings for residential housing. I mean, in the interim, get fucked, but you know, eventually maybe we'll do something about it if if say if we don't push it back further, if we don't. Uh, if we decide to actually enforce it, if uh, it doesn't get overly litigated to hell so that you can't actually do that. Uh, and to be, no, Francine, because those are, because um, you're not a corporation buying a domestic property. So she's asking um, about house flippers. And it was like, well, most house flippers are domestic people buying domestic properties to turn them into, to keep them as domestic properties. Um, so you might have to change and say, um, it would, it might, I, I don't, I'm not actually a you know, house flipper. Um, so I say, but it might change the legal process of it. One way of getting around a lot of this is like, you know, like uh, you make an LLC limited liability, um, liability, limited liability company. Thank you. 
And that way, like it allows you to, to make some space between you, the company owner and the, and the, and your, and you, the, the person, like, like you, the person. So like, if something goes wrong with the company, they can't also take your house. So, uh, so it might mess with that relation, you know, dynamic a little bit, but, uh, I mean, you say, and that would be unfortunate, but it's certainly better than the alternatives, which are, well, companies owning say, which are company, say, which are company towns. Yeah. Yeah. I say, and it would be, it would be a company nation. It would be company nation. Yeah. Like you just be like, Oh, well, where do you live? Well, I live in Pepsi Cola, um, Pepsi Cola way. And uh, we're like, where do you work? Oh, I work over say over there at, at, uh, at Frito-Lay. But I, I, I have to live over here at Pepsi Cola. I do recognize the Frito Lay is owned by Pepsi. Just yeah. <laughs> well, it. but the, the point still stands. The yeah. point stands. Yeah. yeah. Um. And so this, this isn't, this isn't a pro. Like if this isn't a unique. This is a unique situation in, in like in the cultural, and uh, historic nature of let's say of um, Hilton Head. But this is a, like a just a microcosm of the large of the larger picture, and uh, there's not anything anyone can do about it right now. Well, and like you said, to, like it's just le- legally, what right. are you gonna do? Right, what are you it's gonna a, do legally? It's about a free it? market, and they can offer way more than you can hope to. Well, and to put a to put a button on it, so you know, so we'll move on. But to put a button on it because it does tie back, Alex. Your point does tie back to what we what I said before, which is the creation of the Airbnb business model had a collateral effect of incentivizing corporations to buy homes and rent them forever. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, we, we created a market that could destroy this. Yes, no one intended it. They intended to create an opportunity for people with spare homes or spare bedrooms to make a little side money. What they accidentally did was something well, else. <laughs> Like, say, uh, and to give an opportunity yeah. for, uh, say, and, you know, to give an alternative to hotels. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, or companies like mine. Like I work in corporate housing. We have used Airbnb before. If we were having a very slow time, Airbnb is another way for us to uh, rent an apartment if we have to. We, we don't prefer to use it for business reasons. But no one was imagining a world where like a corporation might buy an entire apartment building and then the Airbnb, it. Airbnb it forever, which is a thing we I have seen in my industry. We've like, oh, like this is a corporate building. What? They just Airbnb it forever. Oh, okay. That's a lot of inventory we can't possess now. <laughs> um, so, like again, back to the you know, it was all part of the collateral damage. But um, moving on, as I said at top, polls drop every Friday. As you hear normally, they're engaging. They produce great conversation, great exchanges. We love to see you guys get in the comment section. Respond. We like to have exchanges with you guys. You can always find, like, certainly myself and Josh, we're always in there. Alex isn't on Facebook. Uh, so y- y- you'll never find Professor X in the comment section. But you might find the world's greatest writers. <laughs> of all time. All time. This is a nice thing. So uh, with that said... I have to do that every time now. Uh, absolutely. You guys have uh big fancy introductions so i I deserve (laughs) one as well (laughs) um with that said josh back to you well what's actually really funny is uh i feel like we all we all often have very similar thought processes in terms of how we 
you know, relate things to each other. Because one of the things that I actually wanted to cover uh, after we handled those two things was what I'm calling the attack of business housing, which is basically everything that Alex already described. I was going to go into that detail, but he, he nicely did it for me. Um, but like one, one of the things I wanted to give are some of the current stats, because like, yes, I know that people probably know that this is a thing. It's been a thing happening for quite some, for several years, um, especially since like COVID happened and like the housing market started to go nuts. Like businesses just kind of came in and just started like, hey, we've got money. Let's just buy these houses. And so one thing that a lot of people don't recognize is that here in America, uh, just about one in seven homes that you see on any block are owned by a company. And especially homes in like the starter home price range, that's more like one in five. And the reason why this is an issue are for, I mean, several of the things that have already been discussed, like that there, if you take it off of the market and give it to a company, they are never going to give that back to a person. That land is no longer anything that can be used by a person to generate like generational wealth or anything else along those lines. That is something that is going to be rented forever because that makes money. <laughs> how, how are people in, especially some of these areas where like the, the housing market has been so bad, especially in areas that are uh, like disenfranchised or, or even areas that have already like undergone several years of gentrification, like companies own more than half of those areas or like more than half of those homes already. And that's why you see so many duplexes. Like, and see, just asked in the chat that I was going to make that exact point. This contributes, this is, creates scarcity that they yes. can then use to charge more for rent. Yes. And, <laughs> and like I, there was, I, I originally had planned a different discussion for this until I started doing research for it. And I was like, oh my God, this is so prevalent and nobody's talking about it. <laughs> like it's, it's crazy how, how much of a nightmare scenario this feels like it is. And the fact that it's received like zero media coverage. Like I've seen a couple articles here and there of people talking about like, they saw this coming and like, you know, this is why you should be worried about like 2024 and like a couple of other shit. But like, I've, I've yet to see any large news sources cover this in any major way. And I don't know if that's intentional. Or not. Oh, it, it's, it's intentional. Josh, who, who do you, who do you think, who do you think is buying these properties? That's fair. our advertisers, <laughs> us and our advertisers. Yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> I mean, it's a combination of the fact that, yes, yeah, some of them are probably in bed with it. But the other problem is that it's legal. You ask people, what should, we, what should you do about it? I don't know. What they're doing is totally legal and above board. You have no legal recourse to stop any of this at, at all. And so, that, that's what scares me most as like a citizen, because yeah. I, I recognize that I have, especially given that I just purchased a home, like I have nothing that I can do yeah. <laughs> about this. And that scares uh, me greatly. Yeah. I mean, the other issue is that scarcity and driving up of home prices is good for people who are looking to sell, which some homeowners always are. And so yeah. it does produce profit for some degree, some percentage of homeowners profits from artificial scarcity, which is why anytime there's a there's an attempt to reduce scarcity in neighborhoods, it is almost always killed by nimbyism. Like always, everywhere, in every red, blue, purple gray green district across the country reducing <laughs> scarcity is a loser politically everywhere uh because it is beneficial for some people so between this it, it, it is beneficial specifically to some, the people with capital 
Right. Yes. It is beneficial to some people who live there. And there's no legal recourse other than like fighting the law tooth and nail. And that so just get I don't we don't know what to say. Correct. Get wrecked. And like what what's really weird is that like I the first the thing that made me start paying attention to this was like shortly after we got our home. Like we we got it and we dealt with a couple of things. We had to like replace a few appliances and a couple other things, which I know like in the long run would have like driven up the cost of the home if we were to, as an example, immediately sell it. But like one of the things that I didn't recognize is that like people are already fishing for this. And we got a letter like probably maybe like three months after we got here about what our home could be worth if we sold it right now. And I was like, bro, we just got here. Like we just moved in. We haven't even started like, like finished unpacking everything. What do you mean I can sell this home for almost 500,000 more than I bought it for? What are you talking about? Like that makes no sense to me, but people see that number and are like yep. money. No, I mean, this is such a big thorny issue. It ties into so anytime you start tackling housing and property and what it means to own land, you are just like you are you are going at the core principles of America, property ownership and property rights. And you are dealing with a problem that is so big and massive that you need like dedicated teams at the best papers in the world to like write. 50 articles like the new york times would have to devote like an investigative squad to this it's like all we're going to do is produce articles about this for the next like nine months like one after the next or we could profit from it because it's legal or we could do that i mean you're talking you start digging into people's 401ks like when you see blackstone last year bought a company that rents out like twenty thousand homes you go, well, who's benefiting from that? Do you have a 401k? You might be. <laughs> like, oh, well, crap. Like, yeah, when companies who do investments in stocks, like, well, we want we want them to succeed because I have a 401k. But no, we don't want them to succeed. <laughs> but we don't want them, but you're like, but my 401k. Like, I am aware that, like, for people's well, 401ks in the short term, it would look good. But these well, create all sorts of pressures and incentives and disincentives to act. And, and it, it, it cuts across political lines. It just cuts across too much for anyone to get a straight, clear, this is what you should do. This is how we should fight it. And this is who the parties are. It, it cuts across too much. Um, San Francisco doesn't, New York doesn't want this because they're like very well-to-do liberal areas who benefit from this because they have capital. Like the Republican areas don't want to do this because it doesn't fit their politics. And it just, it cuts, it cuts too much for people to get, get their arms around it, so... And it's a nightmare. Just finding information about it is incredibly hard. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I I wouldn't consider myself like a researcher. And it took, like, this is the thing that I spent probably the most time researching out of, like, all the things that I talk about on this show. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to find this information. And again, Alex, you and I talked about this in our private conversations many times before. Because 401ks are now the primary investment, they are the primary retirement vehicle that only that we all have now. You no longer have pensions. Meaning that going after a normal person's 401k is hurting their ability to maybe retire one day. And that creates a lot of pressures to not act on anything that yeah. touches 401ks. It is an ugly ass and mess. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like we, there are a lot of scenarios that we bring up here on this show. And given the meaty nature of them, there's usually not like a specific answer. And often when we tried to come up with answers, we kind of come up short because of the interconnected nature 
of all of these issues. And so, you know what? I'm going to do something today that I don't normally do. I'm going to bring up a solution to this problem. And I believe a lot of the other problems that we have in America, and you guys aren't gonna agree with me and you're not gonna have the time to, to go back. We're gonna end the show with this. But I think what we should do is throw it all away. I think we need to just completely remove all the government. We need to completely rewrite the constitution. We just need to absolutely destroy the current version of America and make it again. Because society has changed far too much and the playing field has changed far too much for this old document to continue to remain relevant the way that it has been. It's like applying the Bible to AI technology. Like it literally is irrelevant at this point. And I just wish that we had a non-volatile way to make that happen. With that being said, <laughs> this podcast has been brought to you in part by Yag Productions, a studio for podcasters and musicians, and of course, Pointcast News. Listen to any of our other podcasts, please go visit our website at pointcast.news, or you can also find us on Apple Podcasts. Also be sure to like and follow us on Facebook for more podcasts, articles, and polls like the one we covered today. Thank you guys for joining me. Thank you all at home for listening. We will see you next time. Josh, out.